Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bassett, brought to you by the good folks at Ditchwich. I'm Steve Brigman, and here with me today is Aaron Martin, the host of Bass Edge Television. Bass Edge TV can be seen three times weekly on the Outdoor Channel, and it's also on the World Fishing Network and Wild TV in Canada. How are you doing today, Mr. Martin? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, excited about, you know, we've got some good interviews coming up. James Nickemeyer, uh, who fished with us there on Lake Batoka. Then we'll uh, head out to speak with Travis Ruley under the Inside Edge uh, on his discussion about fishing docks. Great. I'm looking forward to it. It's all here on The Edge. Get her like that one, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing today. Oh, did, did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Santa Claus good to you? Hey, oh yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was great, uh, great Christmas, and I uh, got to spend, of course, like most of us, uh, time with the family, so uh, that's always good. Well, I think I'm like a lot of folks, one of my gifts was an iPod, I'm, I'm finally uh, uh, getting in the real world here, but uh, <laughs> I am a proud owner of an iPod now, so, uh, so I can load and listen to myself on uh, the edge. There you go, and uh, you know it kind of reminds me there to throw just a, a welcome out to because I'm sure you were not the only one that got uh, <laughs> one of those for Christmas. So welcome to all of our new uh, iPod subscribers who received those for Christmas. Well, did you have a good New Year's Eve? Yeah, you know I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of past the days to where we go out and live it up on on New Year's. <laughs> uh, you know that's that's kind of something that I just uh, spent again spent some time with family, kind of laid low, you know, and uh, looking forward to to kicking off yet another year. So it's yeah, you're like you're like me, you're getting old. <laughs> yeah, I, I just said it a little more politically correct, Steve. <laughs> yeah, things are a little little tamer these days, but uh, it was a great evening to look back on the year and, and see everything that uh, that we've done and. And to look forward, uh, it's going to be it's going to be a great year. It is, you know, and and, and we start uh, start off kicking really, uh, you know, the new season. Obviously, season three just started there on the Outdoor Channel, and uh, that was that was kind of surreal. You know, we're starting to to see some of that come through. But then I leave a little bit later this week. I'm heading down to actually the Sunshine State there in Orlando, Florida, for the True Value Trade Show. Uh, conference be joining Ditchwich down there, so at least uh, be around some warmer weather and get to talk a lot of fishing. Uh, you gonna do a little fishing down there? No, no. You know, it's 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 hard not to. But uh, I'm only gonna be down there two days and uh, seeing a lot of their customers and things like that. But you know, one of the things that I thought about when they asked me about doing this trip is, you know, the spawn's really not too far off when you get down kind of into southern Florida and that. You know, there's there's probably some pre-spawn activity going on. Well, no, it's it's a great time to fish, and of course you got Lake Toho and Kissimmee there, and and. I'm not sure I believe you when you say <laughs> I think you're just telling me that because i got to stay up here. So <laughs> well, you know, speaking of staying, you know, back uh, maybe where it's not quite so warm and, and not so far advanced into uh, the, the, the seasonal conditions of the upcoming spawn, you know, there's still a lot of great fishing to, to be done, um, whether you're, you're in the Midwest, whether you're north, you know, ice fishing. Um, bottom line is you can still wet a line somewhere. Well, yeah, I mean... It, you know, right here in our part of the country, it's really one of the best times of year to fish. And, uh, you know, I know on our uh, our new DVDs come out, Electronics 101, 
that's the kind of thing that really happens this year up on Table Rock where you live. Boy, that's there, there's no question. I was just thinking about that same thing, you know. And if for some reason, you know, Table Rock is just kind of one of those gyms to where, man, it comes around this time of year and you can take that uh, your electronics unit, like we talked about there on the DVD, get that thing set up right. And all that you have to do is really good to go out and find those schools of bait fish. And it's all done electronically. And once you find that, you know, you, you move up to the front deck of the boat, lower that trolling motor, and chances are there's going to be a lot of bass that's holding right underneath those schools. Well, yeah, and I think it's I think a lot of places in the country this time of year, it's, it's the same that it is at Table Rock, and that look for those birds. And, of course, at Table Rock, we, we've got the gulls. But when you find the loons diving, that's when you know to get that get that trolling motor down, get on that graph, and find those schools of fish. Boy, that is for sure. And, you know, how many times have you seen it? And, and we've even on our filming across the country, you know, we noticed that on some other lakes where there were loons present and they were diving up. At, uh, one in particular was up at Minnesota at Ingwadona. Remember the loons were diving down. They would call in, and then you would have the, the swarm of gulls or birds that would come in because the gulls, uh, basically, are obviously feeding on more of the the more surface-oriented bait fish. But the gulls, they bring them up to the surface, and it kind of creates a chain reaction. Then the bass think, you know, that something's uh, causing the, the bait fish to get all stirred up, and they're getting away. So they go into a somewhat of a reactionary feeding frenzy. And uh, it's just really unique to see how all that ties together. I'm getting stirred up just talking about it. Boy, that's for sure. And, <laughs> you know, speaking of, of getting stirred up, um, one of the other things, I've been talking with a, a lot of different anglers just from around the country. And, you know, some parts of the country have seen a lot. We've seen a lot of high water this year. And, man, the crankbite bite has been phenomenal. And, uh, you know, kind of asking and inquiring why that they think that is, you know, they just feel that uh, obviously the bait fish have been so scattered. Now they're starting to bunch up with the cooler weather and things like that. But that's something else that you, you can't throw out the window is that crankbait. Well, you know, and it's a great time of year to throw crankbaits. I mean, we've got a great article coming up uh, this week on, on our website about winter crankbaiting and uh, with Kevin Van Dam and how he loves to throw crankbaits in the winter and why that's so effective. Well, I, I look forward to that because who better to learn from than, than the man himself. But, uh, man, I could sit around here and talk about this all day, but we better get off to the interview. Okay, man. Well, i tell you what. Let's take a quick break, and we will check out you and James on the flip side. Power. Productivity. Speed. It's the best trencher ever made, not to mention the best plow, dumper, tiller, backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution, is here. Hi, I'm Diddy Brower, and you're listening to The Edge. All right, we are back on the edge, and our next guest is hot off the television screen from this week's episode, and that is BASS elite angler James Nigemeyer. James, thanks so much for being part of the edge. Hey, Aaron. I, it's a pleasure to be a part of the edge. You know, we get to travel around and see some of these uh, wonderful lakes that this nation has to offer. Boy, that is that is for sure, and, and we definitely got to see one of those when we visited, uh, you know, Indiana's Lake Patoka there, uh, you know, actually last spring i guess it was and you know why don't you just kind of describe or give your input if you will on uh what anglers can expect you know when visiting that lake 
You know, Aaron, it's kind of funny because you asked me, um, hey, you want to come up and fish Lake Potoka? And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and, and you know, you just don't think of Indiana as a big bass fishing lake. But as I, as I researched, this this was one of the jewel lakes of the whole state. This was, you know, one of the better bass fishing lakes in, in Indiana. And um, and as we got there and, and, and saw the lake, I saw some things that really, I'd love to go back if I get a chance. There, the lake had a lot of bait fish. Remember, remember, Aaron, we saw those great big gizzard shad? There were schools of gizzard shad. And, and we even saw cruising fish, nice, you know, quality cruising fish. And it seems like all the team tournaments up there takes, you know, like 20 pounds to win. It's it's a it's a very healthy lake. It's got a lot to offer from the dam all the way up the river, whether you want to fish stain water, clear water, um, points, brush, you know, full contact fishing or light line <laughs> finesse fishing. You know, it, it had bridges. It just had so much marinas. It was it's just it, it had fl- flooded timber, standing timber. You know, it's just I could see that lake being a wonderful if you lived right nearby. It'd be a great place to as a school ground to really learn and, and, and see how fish react on a season, even day-to-day basis, as they react to all these different uh, things that the lake has. It's a, it's a prolific lake. I like it. Well, and I, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, just like uh, Steve Brigman and I had talked about right before this, you know, we, we more or less described it as a, as a hidden jewel. And, you know, speaking of it being like a, a school or a, a perfect playground for learning, um, that was exactly the case that when we got up there, because obviously, you know, that during those can that spring, I should say, very very high water conditions. If you remember, you know, the, uh, some of the bridges we could not even get through. So the lake was obviously up. I think it was about twice the size that it normally is, which put a lot of the water in the trees, uh, things along those lines. But you know, we went in with some preconceived notions, and I think one of the things that when we got done fishing. Uh, for that day was when you had described um, that, you know, expectations that it was a lot like a tournament. Yeah, you know, it, it definitely put us through the paces. We came in there, you know, basically thinking for this time of year, this is what we probably could expect. And we found fish doing what we, doing what we, you know, what our preconceived notions were, but we, we could tell right away that the lake had more to offer than that. And as we continued to spend time on the water and just and just kind of survey the scene, take in the conditions, and continue to, to, to use different baits and techniques, we found out that the fish were actually doing something different than you and I were thinking they would. Now, I love to sight fish, and it was a blast. Yeah, and again, that was one of the, the opportunities that, you know, t- talking about catching us off guard, I mean, here I'm thinking it's going to be totally pre-spawn, and lo and behold, you know, the 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 air temperature got, I mean, just went through the roof that day, which caused, obviously, the surface temperature to come up. And uh, thank goodness, you know, that we put the trolling motor on high and, and moved in a little bit to the shoreline because what we found was uh, really what ended up making the show. Yeah, you know, um, we were, it, 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 I think what we caught was the, the, the one of the first waves to really move shallow and, um, and begin that whole spawning season, you know. And I don't know that, that they were going to stay up very long. I think maybe the possibility of cold fronts might have pushed them back out. But these were fish that were, that were you know, early spawners, the first wave to really set up and spawn. And, and, and then we caught some that were staging in the bushes and, um, and other techniques. We, it was, it, there, was late, there was fish in all, in all uh, phases of the spawn, I think, there. and or Not all phases of it, not, none post-spawn, but, you know, pre-spawn and spawn and some, even some staging fish. So it was, it was tremendous. I, I, I love 
that is what we do. I mean, we'll, I mean, that's why we do what we do. I think is when we when we get up there and we you know lock what's going on and we figure it out. That's when it. That's when it's most gratifying. I think, don't you, Aaron? Oh, no question. Uh, you know, and you know, we talk a lot about the competition aspect, whether it be formally or just out on the water. But trying to figure out those fish, and when you look at the things that we were presented with and the opportunities, uh, what I couldn't believe. You know, I learned a tremendous amount that day, and just even on the bait selection from colors. You know, because of the changing sky conditions, um, when we were even targeting the you know the fish that were on bed. One of the things that I think are hard as, as an angler for myself is, you know, the, the water was high, like we were saying. You had to, you couldn't get under some of the bridges. And typically, I, I'm a power fisherman. I love to get up there and, and flip brush and, you know, just power fish. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to really make that happen. And as we, as we continued to fish on, we started seeing a spawner here and a spawner there. And we're like, wait a second. You don't have to hit me over the head with a sledgehammer, but I think I see what's going on here. Exactly. <laughs> when you look at spawning fish, I thought you brought up a good point, and, and that is being able to tell by the way that a fish is acting, you know, when you start getting close to it, or maybe when you pitch your bait in there. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on, on what you're talking about when you say body language? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you first come up on a fish, and sometimes... You'll, it'll be in plain sight, and you see it, and, and it just bolt. You could just tell by looking at it. Let's say it's turned perpendicular to you, and all of a sudden it catches you coming at it, and all of a sudden it turns and faces you like, come on, take your best shot. Well, you know that one's aggressive. The other ones, you know, you pull up, and your, your boat's coming closer, creeping up on him, and he's gone. That's the opposite end of the extreme. And so you have all different phases of, of that and in between. And, and so sometimes just just, you know, if he... If he backs up, he may be a little less aggressive. If you pull up and you pitch a bait in there and his fins start going, well, that one's fired up. He doesn't like that bait in there. Well, you, maybe you pitch up there and he kind of just shrinks back and shrivels up and maybe his fins aren't as aggressive and his colors don't. I've even noticed the colors will get bright because they just get, ooh, they get mad at that thing being in there. It's invaded their space. And so there's different things that will really clue you in they'll, or they'll even charge a bait. Or they'll, you, well, sometimes you'll pitch in there and he'll, He'll take off, but he'll spin around do a, and just come right back and take a bull run at it. And sometimes I've even noticed them open and close their mouth like they're barking at it. It's just, it's, sometimes it's so funny. You watch them, and, and it, you, you're just, it's a blast, you know, to watch these fish react. And, ever, and everyone's different. They all have their own personalities. And you just kind of key in on that, and, and you can really figure out what the fish, whether it's an aggressive one or non-aggressive one. It's well, a, well and, and, and to add to that, I mean, to take it a step further, you know, there was a, a few of those fish to where you would pitch in that jig, and man, they would get absolutely just crazy. And, and you could tell you they, they were doing exactly what you were saying, but they would kind of nip at the ends of it or nip at the trailer. And then, you know, we, we would come back with a, a smaller or more compact bait, throw in there, and they would eat it. And, you know, we really kind of took, uh, I guess, sight fishing to kind of a tag team sport. It's a one-two punch. I know. I remember that. Because it was like, well, let's see what happens when we put this jig in there. And that's, you know, always experimenting different shapes, sizes, weights, colors. And sometimes you just think, well, I'll just try this. And that ends up being the gem of the whole, of the whole bait selection. You might have four different baits tied on, and then all of a sudden you throw the jig in there, and that just ends up being the one that just gets them fired up. And it might not even be the bait that you end up catching the fish on. You may, you may get them fired up on a jig and then end up switching over to a creature bait, and then he ends up eating that up. So... 
but the thing is, is, is getting that fish fired up to the point where he is going to attack. And once he gets in that posture, you just you can see it, and you're like, oh, any cast now. And that and that's about when my heart jumps out of my chest. I'm just like, oh, I mean, we're going to catch him, you know? <laughs> and it's just so exciting. It's an adrenaline rush. One of the decisions that you made uh, there during that day, um, you actually picked up a white tube. Um, kind of think back on that. I mean, was was that more from the standpoint, you know, do you feel that color has more of a significance with regards to what the bass is willing to respond to, or is that more from an angler's perspective of being able to see it, or maybe a combination of the both? I think it can be a combination of the both. I've actually been in some situations where uh, a lake has a lot of bait fish in it, and so that pearl or shad or any kind of a bait fish kind of hue, you throw that in there, and that really gets them, I mean, that really fires them up. And um, and that ends up being great because now you're fishing a bait that you can really see well, and then and as well as a bait that's firing them up and really getting them ag- agitated or really uh, uh, provoking a strike. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes the best bait in the world is a black one or a, or a green pumpkin and some one of these real natural colors and makes it hard because sometimes you can't see them eat it. You, you, you know, it, it just blends into the bottom and and but that's the one that's really you know, getting them, getting them riled up. And so you just have to, in my opinion, the best color is the one that gets them the quickest. Because sometimes I've, you know, I've spent as much as an hour or more on one bedfish, you know. And, and, and then all of a sudden it becomes like a me versus you type thing. You know, it's either me fish or you fish, right. you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, we had an absolute blast. And, and just getting up there and to, to see how those fish react, you don't necessarily have to catch the fish to learn a lot. That's exactly right. I, but it's, it is, like you say, it's such a learning sp- um, type of technique. It's such a, you could see so much. And other times, you know, we don't get to see them. We don't get to see what, what works, what doesn't work. But again, back to what you were saying, you know, you and I worked really well together in the boat. Um, two guys out on the water for, for the weekend, wherever they are in the country during the spawn, you know, don't get fired up who catches don't get upset about who catches what, you know, just go out there and enjoy yourself. It's such a great time because maybe I might, you know, I might get one um, excited and then you might catch it and then that just might come turn around fair play next time. Exactly. So it's, you know, it's just wonderful. It, it, it's great to get out there and at the end of the day, um, it's, all those fish were in our, you know, in that boat. So who really cares? I'm not counting. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I've always said I can be the world's greatest net person. So, uh, you know, now what about boat positioning? I mean, that, that plays a big role in, in when you're, when you're targeting sight fish. You bet. You bet. I, I always want to come up. If I'm just in search mode and I'm not sure if they're in a particular arm of the lake, I'll pick the trolling motor on high and see how many I can see. And I'll just blow by them and just, you know, and if I see one every now and again, I, I probably am not in the right area. But as I start to see more than one, or they're just I see them more frequently, I'll slow down. And then if I've kind of scared some of those fish as I've cruised by, I'll double back, put the trolling motor on real low, and then I'll just creep in there. Give them a chance to settle down, obviously, first. Get them, get them, give them a chance to settle down, get them a chance to, to move back up onto their nesting area or whether, wherever they're feeling they're, they're going to protect. And then I cruise in there real slow. And the slower you go, the better, really. You get him so much more comfortable with your presence. Uh, after a while, he'll just think you're a tree standing there. I don't know if he really thinks that, but you know what I mean. He's, he's just that comfortable with you being there, 
And if you, if you just barge right in there, um, you can definitely spook them off, and it's just going to take that much longer for you to catch that fish. And sometimes just facing the fish with the bow of the boat is going to be a lot less obtrusive or intrusive than if you put it perpendicular and showed him the broadness of your big bass boat. You know, yeah, it's especially just, when it's bright orange. That's exactly right. <laughs> you're going to get them. You're going to put them on edge, and it's going to take you that much longer. So, you know, you kind of camouflage yourself, and you know, put yourself in a in a position to do the best that you can in the shortest amount of time. Because you know, whether you're tournament fishing or just you're fishing on the weekend or what have you. We're all against the clock, you know? Right. Well, final closing point. Um, you know, what advice can you give us as far as, you know, let, let's say when the time of year gets to where the, the spawn is happening in your geographic area, where are some of the, the, the key points or high percentage areas that you should check first for spawning and spawning fish? Those coves that are sheltered from a north wind, without a doubt, um, from the middle part of the lake to the upper end of the lake, those areas are going to warm um, fastest, but those north-facing banks um, protected from, you know, those hard cold fronts that really turn them, get the water temperature cooling that time of year, those are the ones you, you, want, to, you want that protected area. If you're cruising down the lake, this is a great way to look for them, these partic particular areas. If you're cruising down the lake, and you look back in a cove, and it's just dead flat in there, and, and you see, like, maybe even you see some, some pollen on the water. You could tell that wind hasn't been, the wind hasn't churned up that water. That's probably some of the warmest water in the whole creek or the whole arm or even in that part of the lake. And that's a good place to go look. You can really, you can do a lot just by looking if you're just driving down the lake. If you're going 60, it might be a little harder. But, but you know, you just cruise down there about 4,000 miles in it, 4,000 RPMs, and, and you can see, if you can pick up a lot and really eliminate, eliminate a lot of water and even even find some great productive water. Well, James, certainly we, uh, we found some great productive water and uh, had the opportunity of, of really uh, exploring kind of uh, kind of testing our, our mental skills. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time, but thanks so much for being part of the Edge. Wish you the best of luck in the upcoming season. And uh, any closing comments before we are over and out? You bet, Aaron. I just want to ask all the listeners, that you know, if they ever have any questions or anything that I might be able to help them with, uh, or even just to, just to throw me a, shoot me a line or shoot me a, an email at uh, go to bassedge.com and go on to the Ask the Pro section and, and send me a, drop me a line. Well, James, thanks so much. Uh, always a consummate professional. Appreciate your time, and we look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you, Aaron. It's great to be on Bass Edge. Hi, I'm Chris Ball, and stick around for some more tips and techniques on Bass Edge, The Edge. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. And that interview brought back some great memories. Boy, that is for sure. I mean, you know, any time that you get to go and, and experience sight fishing, let alone the fact that we weren't anticipating that at all, I mean, uh, man, that, that made me relive, relive that whole day. Well, that part of Indiana was just, it was gorgeous, but, it, you know, also it was just right in the middle of spring and... Of course, we uh, stayed out on the beautiful uh, Wilston Guest Ranch, and 
the the red buds were blooming and the dogwoods were blooming and the turkeys were gobbling. My goodness, uh, not only do I miss Indiana, I miss my spring. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, you miss you mentioned about uh, the dogwoods, the red buds, and the turkeys. I know you had one thing on your mind, and that was uh, <laughs> wishing it was turkey season. You had an out of state tag. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah. yeah, I was a little concerned there. Somebody, I think one of the cameramen were. Uh, uh, had the camera pointing at me when I was gobbling with the turkeys. I was hoping that wouldn't make it on YouTube or uh, something. Yeah, well, you you never know about that bunch. But one thing about it, man, not only did we get to catch some fish, we also saw a tremendous amount of wildlife. And like you said, I mean, that area is just is just tremendous. But, you know, Steve, one of the things that I was really shocked about, that was the first time that I had ever wet a line in the state of Indiana. And, you know, Lake Patoka is kind of one one of those hidden jewels. And when we started really roaming the banks a little bit, I, I have never seen so many four and five pound fish in my life, man. Th- what a what a hidden jewel! That that's a great way to put that because uh, you know you and I being uh, here from Missouri, we we've done a lot of heading down south and fishing, but uh, man, what quality fish for the Midwest! And what a beautiful little lake too. You know, not many houses around it. Very beautiful hardwood forest, rolling hills, and. Uh, in a whole lot of water. Well, and, and that's that's the thing. I mean, you know, at normal pool, the I think the lake is something like ninety eight hundred acres, or, or right at ten thousand acres. Two things there. One is the lake does fishes extremely big, meaning that there's a lot of areas to where you can, um, you know, make a cast, and the chances are that there's going to be fish. So it's not like it's it's only contained to one area of the lake or one stretch of the lake. There were fish everywhere. But the other thing is, obviously, when we got there, I think the lake was about twice that size because it was at an all-time high. And given the fact that the way that that lake works, they can only discharge about four inches of water a day. Right. And so if you remember, there was actually some of the bridges that we couldn't even get under. Yeah, I was going to mention that. I remember having to trailer around to get on the <laughs> to get a, on the other side of the bridges, but uh, but man, finally we found a couple of just amazing uh, coves that were just uh, loaded up with bedded fish. Yeah, and and you know one of the things that that we talk a lot about here on the edge with uh, Dr. Jay McNamara and numerous anglers is about you know being flexible and not going showing up at the boat ramp with a preconceived, you know, idea of what's going to take place. Because I've got to tell you, when James and I talked about, you know, leading up to to the, that fishing trip, um, we actually thought we were going to be predominantly targeting pre-spawn bass. And what we found was that actually there was a lot of spawning activity, but even a lot of post-spawn activity that was going on. So really we had the opportunity to experience kind of the trifecta or all three phases of the spawn. Right, and, and, and just the adjustment that you guys made on it was just, uh, you know, you know, just amazing. And, and, and just to reiterate what you just said, I mean, uh, be flexible. Think out of the box. Don't, you know, leave your preconceived notions at home. Don't look at your calendar and see what happened last year. You know, read the water, read the fish, and, uh, uh, and make the right adjustments. Yeah, and speaking of reading the fish, you know, that was another thing. You know, on, on some of those beds that we approached, I always find it, very fascinating how you can go from one bed to the next and a fish on this bed may you know you throw a pitch in there and it's all over on the very first cast but some of the other ones didn't want anything to do with and the other thing that played into kind of our success was the fact of of changing up colors but also changing up the actual baits to give them a multiple you know variety of offerings i guess to figure out what they were going to respond to fishing for fish on beds is an incredibly educational 
uh, experience. Because one thing you learn very, very quickly is that, uh, you know, we, we, we tend to think, well, the fish are doing this, the fish are doing that. Well, you know what? These fish are kind of different. They're, they're, they're a little bit like people in that, uh, you know, some are going to be more aggressive, some are uh, going to be more passive. And, and you have to, to read individual fish, and it teaches you that, that there's more than one thing going on out there. And in our article on the on BassEdge.com this week on sight fishing, uh, guide Rick Loomis from Down Lake Fort talks about how many times his clients uh, get bit and they never feel the bite. And you, it just makes you, you look at it and you just sort of start thinking about all the other fishing you do, and it's like, man, I wonder how much I'm getting bit because... I wonder how often I'm getting bit, and I have no idea. Exactly, and it, it's almost scary to think about that, and that's one of the reasons why to get out and practice and to be able to do that and, again, spend time on the water, put yourself in those conditions as much as possible. It's a, it's a learning experience and one that I'm certainly not going to forget. Yeah, that was great. Well, i tell you what, uh, we got uh, we got something to give away here. Uh, we do. We do. Actually, uh, it's going to go all the way down to Don from Hollywood, Florida, almost said California there, but Don from Hollywood, Florida, receives a real clean cleaning kit from Arden Outdoors and a Bass Edge decal. So congratulations, Don. And uh, just goes to show you when you sign up there, uh, everybody has the opportunity to win. Yeah, and I, I tell you what, those cleaning kits are great. You clean your guns, clean your reels. That's Take care right. of your stuff. Okay, uh, and our question this week is from William in Sulphur Springs, Texas. His answer is from James Niggemeyer. His question is, I fish Lake Fork a lot. The problem I have is on windy days, I can't seem to catch fish on the points when I know they're there. What's a good tip for these points? Well, that's that's a a very good question, William. And James's answer is basically that wind can really be a factor to spur the fish activity level. However, it can make things mechanically challenging. Boy, I've been there too. Uh, Two things that James recommends when fishing points in the wind are increase the weight size if you're fishing on the bottom with a jig or plastic. This helps you maintain contact with the bottom and your lure for detecting strikes. I would also consider a crankbait that will help cover different water depths and locations as fish and prey can scatter and or suspend in windy conditions. Second, if you believe fish haven't left the area, then check to see if they've repositioned on the point. They may have slid off to the side of the point to a less obvious feeding area, to take advantage of the current from the wind as it washes across the point. Try these tips and see if you can reconnect with the fish. James Niggemeyer. Man, that's some great advice from James. And I tell you, you know that Lake Fork used to be, for many years, my home lake. And I know William uh, gets his share of wind out there. <laughs> no and question. Hopefully that'll help. Well, I tell you what, let's take another quick break, Aaron. And we'll be right back with your interview with Travis Roof. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. All right, we are back on the edge, and joining us this week for the Inside Edge edition is FLW and also PAA competitor, and that is Mr. Travis Ruley. Travis, uh, again, thanks so much for being part of the edge. Oh, thank you for having me. You know, Travis, uh, you talked on the show specifically when we were fishing uh, there with um, 
uh, James Nigemeyer. Um, you, you did a piece on dock fishing, and, and of course, you know, we're limited by time, and once again, kind of also on this episode, we're a little bit limited by time, but I thought the piece was fantastic because docks really come into play uh, if you're a bass angler. They, they really do, and, 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 and bass use docks year-round. So, I mean, really understanding how they use docks and fishing docks is really key. Uh, to understand that you know and and i thought um and and for those of us maybe who have not seen that episode um you know you brought up a, a couple very very good points one was you know the difference between cloudiness or or overcast and and sunshine and then also what to target those bass with maybe a, a lure that it's falling more vertical uh in the water column versus a horizontal running bait can you just uh, again rehash that just a little bit yeah, well, definitely. First off, you know, when, when you're dock fishing, um, the rule of thumb really is the best dock is the one where a bass would live if the dock was not there. Uh, second of all, you know, bass use a dock as cover, but what the dock actually offers the bass is shade. And that's when all that light that I had spoke about in the show, all that, you know, the light theory comes from. And depending on the day, whether it's cloudy or sunny, will kind of dictate whether the, the bass are tight up under the dock in the shade or out, you know, roaming around. So by, by, you know, being aware of the light conditions for the given day you're on the water, that will kind of help determine what lure you're going to throw. You know, when, you're, when, you, when I talk about horizontal baits, like a spinner bait or a swim jig or a swim bait even, um, those would be more for your, like, cloudy days when the fish are roaming around and not holding extremely tight to the dock. But, you know, on a sunny day, that's when your vertical baits come into play. Jigs, skipping a Senko under a dock or whatever, you know, so you can, you know, get up into that dock and have something that you could skip under that dock because, again, when it's really sunny, they like shade, so they're going to be right under that dock, so it's very key to get in there. And that kind of brings us to, you know, the, the topic of, of shade and the role that it plays. You know, when you're fishing, let's say, whether it be a floating dock or even a dock, a stationary dock that has, you know, timbers that's running down, you know, and, and fastened or, or resting on the bottom, um, shade really plays a role you know, when, when you're targeting, you know, bass on a, on a sunny day? It, it really does. And, uh, again, when you, when you talk about the difference between floating and a stationary dock, a couple things to look for is the, uh, the amount, the gap under the dock, how close the bottom of the dock to the water. That's going to give, you know, a darker area under that dock. If it's really tall and there's a lot of, you know, there's a, there's a big gap between the bottom of the dock and the surface of the water, the light's going to be able to get under that dock. So it's not going to be that dark. And also, you know, docks have roofs and, and other things like that that emit a lot of shade. These are all things you need to look for when it comes to the light conditions. Well, and, and that really ties into, you know, when you talk about, uh, let's say, on a floating dock, um, you know, where it has the capsulated foam and the little spaces in between, or, or perhaps, like you said, about having a roof or a boat lift or something like that, you know, presentation really can play a large role in your <laughs> success. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, one thing, Aaron, that I like to do, um, you know, when, when, when practicing at home, and this is, you know, preparation, you know, even off the water is, is so important when it comes to dock fishing, is learning how to skip. And when I decided I need to learn how to skip, you know, to obviously improve my presentation, I just use the, the, the floor of my garage and just practice with the baitcaster skipping my lure across the garage. So, you know, a, a fisherman could go out there and, 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 and fish docks, but really not get the bait where he needs to, and that's when that practice comes into play. Well, and what a better time to do it than, you know, here, of course, depending on where you live, but at least in my part of the country, it's freezing cold, so, you know, <laughs> out in your garage. And, uh, you got it, you got it. It's kind of the yeah, off-season practice. 
yep, you got it. This is this is the time to be doing that, you know. And and even just getting out there, you know, a, uh, you know, a couple days, and you, you go to a lake that's got a lot of docks, and just force yourself to just fish docks. You know what I mean? Like, you know make those casts that you normally would not have made before and just keep practicing and it's going to come. Well, it's going to come extremely naturally. And the practice is, is the key because, I mean, again, we have talked many, many times. If, if you're a tennis player, a basketball player, a baseball player, you know, you're out on the court practicing a certain stroke, a, shirt, a certain shot, uh, no different than fishing. You know, get out and practice making that cast and that presentation. Don't worry about what you're catching, but bottom line is just trying to get the bait in the strike zone. You, you got it. It's just like uh, shooting a three-point or anything else. I mean, it, it, it's so important, and especially on really pressured lakes. You know, most public lakes, um, like Lake of the Ozarks or Lake Norman or Smith Mountain Lake, you know, across the country, they're loaded with boat docks. These lakes receive a lot of pressure, and with that said, you know, on those bright days, those fish get really, really tight to those docks, and if you don't pre- present the bait right, you're not going to get to the fish. Sure. And in our last closing minute, one of the things that you alluded to earlier was, you know, the best docks are, are areas where a bass would live regardless if the dock is there. So starting out, you know, when, when let's say you're hitting the, the lake uh, your first day and you're trying to figure out what docks, because every dock is not created equal, uh, give us some pointers on what you do or how you kind of break down what docks to key on. I mean, are you fishing a, a, a wide array of docks or are you just basically kind of keying in on, on one particular dock? Aaron, that's a great question. Actually, uh, when I go out there, first off, you got to take into consideration the time of year when you're out there fishing. Is it winter, spring, summer, or fall? This will all kind of dictate where you start. You know, for instance, like in the summertime when the fish are on main lakes, obviously I'm going to start on the main lake, on main lake docks. And then in the fall, as the fish move back in to the coves, I'll start, you know, say a secondary point or secondary creek into the backs of those creeks, and I'll work my way out until I get bit. Um, so really, first first thing you definitely got to understand the seasonal seasonal patterns, and then you can kind of that will dictate where you start on the lake and and what docks. But you know, pay attention obviously to bottom composition. I mean, you know, hard bottom, soft bottom. Those are a lot of things you need to take in consideration. You know, and and one thing that I know that we've talked about before that I would just add to that is, you know, when you start out, pay attention. You know, fish the dock very thoroughly because sometimes mm-hmm. they might be on the front edge, they might be on the back edge. Those they may change, you know, throughout the course of the day. But then, if you know that you fish that dock thoroughly, then once you have success, you can basically duplicate that, you know, from across the lake, really. Yes, yes, definitely can. And that's exactly what you just said. It's exactly what I do when I'm approaching a dock. I start on the way. You know, I start out on the end of the dock and work my way in. A lot of guys just go straight for the walkways, which is fine some, sometimes of the year. But, you know, like you said, it changes every day or it changes every day and hour to hour. So, right. I mean, you know, you want to be on, on, on top of that change. So starting at the end and working your way in throughout the day will keep you on that, that, that change, that, that move those fish do throughout the day. Well, once again, Travis, great interview. Appreciate your time. Uh, any closing thoughts before we get out of here? Well, Aaron, you know, I mean, if any of the viewers have any questions for myself or, or any any of the other pros, I mean, log on to BassEdge.com and uh, shoot us some questions. I'd love to answer anything that they might have out there. Well, and uh, that's that's basically it. All right. Well, great, Travis. Uh, again, uh, appreciate your time and uh, also the information. Best of luck, and uh, we'll talk to you again in the near future. Aaron, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm Dave Wolak. My favorite movie, it's a toss-up. I like For the Love of the Game, it's a baseball movie. I like The Natural, baseball movie. And I like Casino, which is completely non-related. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options, 
Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zod. Establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. Well, that's all the time that we have today, but don't forget we are on the Outdoor Channel, Thursdays at 8 a.m., Fridays at 9 a.m., and Saturdays at 2.30 p.m. all Eastern Time. Also, seven days a week on the World Fishing Network and on Wild TV in Canada. For the latest Bass Edge information, merchandise, and to sign up for the e-newsletter, product giveaways, and the Ask the Pro questions, visit us online at BassEdge.com. Steve, who do we have up next week? we got Mr. Denny Brower, the old pro himself. I'm going to be down in the swamps around Morgan City, Louisiana. And we'll also have Dr. Fish, Dr. Jay McNamara. Well, I can't wait. Uh, sure to be another great episode for Steve Brigman. I'm Aaron Martin, and we'll see you next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge, has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Mega Wear Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.